The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Amen, amen. God is good, and He is good all the time. Amen. Has He been good to you this week? He's been good to me, too. Y'all have a seat, and let's go to His Word as we continue our worship. We just thank God that He has not left us in the dark, but He has revealed Himself to us through His mighty Word. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 61 and 62, and um, we got a big morning, big morning. We have baptisms outside, we've got church membership, um, and um, communion. I will say, and something we, we hadn't talked about, but um, we have three of our young ones being baptized, being immersed in downtown church's new hot tub baptismal uh, outside that it will be stored permanently at my house, uh, maybe on my deck. But, uh, and uh, Jonah Oliver is not going to be baptized, and some may wonder why not. Well, he's already been baptized, and we, we are a diverse church in a lot of ways, and one is just differing uh, perspectives on baptism, and one is not better than another. That's, that's really our uh, position, but... Um, However, the, the reason that we do baptize babies is uh, we um, believe that children in the Old Testament were treated as believers because God told parents to circumcise, put the sign of salvation on them at eight days old. They don't know what in the world they're doing. They don't, they're not making any decisions. And so we see baptism as taking the place of circumcision, and that's why um, in the New Testament, and that's why Jonah uh, he's already been baptized when he didn't know what was going on. So uh, anyway, it's a great morning, and we're excited. Um, so let's go now to Isaiah ch chapter 61. And man, I've already preached this once this morning, but I'm just as excited at, right now than I was at the first service, and you'll see why in a minute. But let's hear the Word of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And some translations say, and the opening of the eyes of the blind. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priest of the Lord, they shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. 
Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. What is a double portion? They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. It's the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our glorious God, Oh, this is good news. (laughs) You have proclaimed good news, Lord Jesus, and you are the good news. So I pray this morning that you would rain down your spirit upon your people, that our hearts would be open and attentive to what you have for us, that even those the most disinterested and skeptical might find him or herself being fascinated, being captivated by this person, Jesus, who would take Poor men and women, boys and girls like us, and make us wealthy in your love and wealthy wealthy in your praise and wealthy in our new identity. That we might go out and change the world and be the change in the world. Oh, Father, would you be with us? We need you. Lord, I pray for those hurting this morning. I think of the Calhouns who lost an uncle, father, a friend. God, I pray that you would bring them healing, that you would bring them, bind up their broken heart this morning. God, we pray for our nation that just continues to exhibit the hate and the racism and the prejudice that exists in the heart of men and women. God, we need you. We need you for healing, but we need you to make us a counter-community. We need you to make us different. So God, would you do it? And even use your word to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no way that I can exaggerate the importance of this text. Out of all the passages that Jesus had to choose from in the Old Testament, out of all the verses, all the chapters, all the books... Jesus, in his first sermon, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, came to this passage. He took from the attendant the scroll, and he unrolled it, and he unrolled it, and he unrolled it till he came to the book of Isaiah, and he declared these words to the people. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled that scroll back up, handed it to the attendant, 
went back and sat down. Now, that's a whole other sermon right there. The people stood up while the pastor sat down. We may get more biblical here, and let me do that, and let y'all stand for about 30 minutes. Uh, but that's a complete side note. has nothing to do with my sermon. Um, he sat down, and he, he declared this. He said, Behold, right here, right now, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Jesus proclaimed these words that we have before us this morning. And, and in Luke 4.22, this is what we read, And all spoke well of him, and oh, they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But then he began to unpack it. And he gave them a little illustration like preachers are bound to do. And he gave them an illustration about the widow of Zarephath and... and, and um, Naaman the Syrian, the commander. And he told them that, hey, you want to see what righteous, you want to see where my grace goes, it goes to them. And what he was really saying, not to you, the proud and religious. And then in Luke 4, 29, we read these words. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Friends, what we see this morning is that the message of the gospel, the message that Jesus proclaimed in Isaiah, uh, or that the, the anointing, anointed servant proclaimed in Isaiah 61, and, and we see in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus is that anointed servant. The message that he brings, the message that he says is of, is of utmost importance is that I have come for the poor. I've not come for those who think they have it together. I've not come for those who think they've got their life just aligned so much that they should earn my praise. I've not come to those who are depending upon even their material wealth. I have come for the poor and only the poor. And they wanted to kill him, and so do many of us today. You see, the big idea is this. God pours out his unrivaled love and grace but he does so only to the poor in spirit, especially to the material poor and those willing to be both. And yet, his unrivaled love fuels a selfless life of radical justice. Grace takes you somewhere, folks. And if you would but give me just a few minutes to unpack some of these texts, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. And the first thing that we need to see is this. Our problem is always that we are constantly drifting toward the point at which we think ourselves middle class and not poor. We constantly think that we are middle class in spirit and not the poor. At the end of Jesus' teaching, that was the problem. The, the problem was the Jews thought they were the ones. They thought they were the chosen ones. You remember that game that we all played as children where you lined up and you had two captains and they could pick the teams? Who did you pick? The slowest? No. The dumbest? No. The fastest, the most agile. And the Jews said, well, hey, that's who we are. You chose us first, so we're in. We're good. And Jesus said, no. No. 
No, you think you're middle class in spirit. You think you got something to give me, but you are bankrupt. You are impoverished. You are dead. You have nothing to give me. And he unpacks it. Luke 4, 25 through 28, Jesus said, But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Now, what he's saying, he's talking to Israelites. He's talking to Jews. There were many Jews. There were many people just like you in the days of Elijah in Israel when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And then he said, and a woman who was a widow had no social capital. She was poor. She was nothing. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. (laughs) When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Friends, Jesus, he he chose a poor widow and a wealthy um, um, soldier to, first of all, say it's not only the material poor, but it is always the poor in spirit. Always the poor in spirit. And and yet both of these were, were complete outcasts. Both of these had no social capital and they had no religious capital. Naaman had leprosy. He couldn't even get near the people of God. He had to be outside the camp. He was one who was contagious. And Jesus chose these two as the the illustration of the example of that's how empty you've got to get of yourself to be in my kingdom. The problem with religious people is they are spiritually middle class and not poor. And friends, that I think is where we are today. We talk a lot about this. In, at downtown church, but this is where Jesus is going, and we see it in the New Testament, but we see it here in the Old Testament. The people of God had no love for justice. And, and yet God says, I love justice, and I hate robbery. See, the problem in the church today for many of us at white evangelicals that grew up in the white evangelical church is not our white privilege, but our middle class and spirit attitude. The reason that we can't hear that maybe we got it wrong, maybe we are culpable, maybe we um, uh, were silent and played into, and maybe even our ancestors were um, those that were on the front lines bringing injustice and oppression and hurt to others in our society. The reason we're not willing to go there is because we have it in our minds that we are middle class in spirit. We are not really the poor ones. And yet what we have failed to do is to understand and realize that no, it is not, that, 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 that justice is not just owning a slave or bringing, being the hand that brings oppression, but justice is having the power, the resources, the ability to bring good and to bring justice to one, or, or, or to bring freedom, to bring life, to bring a little love, to bring a little help, to, to lend a hand to your neighbor who needs it. And instead, we, we fail to understand that simply because we came together in um, by race and in our white churches that basically we thought we were doing God's will by bringing each other dinner 
But what Jesus is saying is, no, because you were bringing, while you were bringing each other dinner, you were neglecting the starving children across the way. It, it's, he's not telling us to abandon our own children and the education of our own children. And, but what he's saying is, because that is your only focus, that is your primary focus, to the exclusion of your neighbor's children, that is injustice and you are guilty and you have blood on your hands. And friends, the, but hear me, the reason Jesus is saying this, the reason that Isaiah, God through Isaiah is pleading this is because basically what he's saying is, cheer up, Israelites, cheer up, church, because I've got some incredible grace for you. If you would just admit that you were poor in spirit, if you would just admit that you're poor and not middle class, because when you go down, then I can lift you up. When you, when you empty yourself of yourself, when you really get to the root of who you are in your flesh, then my grace can come flowing down. I mean, God is not seeking, we're going to see in a minute, not seeking to leave us in shame. He is trying to bring exposure that we might see our sin, repent, receive God's love, and move in a different direction. But sin goes both ways. Sin goes both ways. To my black brothers and sisters, I don't know how you watch the policeman, his knee on George Floyd for that long with people pleading, pleading, with George Floyd pleading and that just bringing up all the trauma of all the stops and all the oppression that you have felt. And then look at me as your white brother and say, I love you. I mean that. I mean that. And yet, friends, that's what Jesus is calling us to. He is calling us to forgiveness. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor and only the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of eyes to those who are blind. God meets us in the weakness of our repentance at the point of our acknowledgement that, yes, I am the man. I am culpable. And Jesus says, come on in and be with the rest of us. Are you poor in spirit this morning? How have you treated your spouse? How have you treated your children just this morning? You know, the best thing about empty nests is you don't, well, the best thing about being a preacher, too, is you get here early and you're, you know, you don't have to be in the car with two and three-year-olds screaming. And the demon is in the minivan on the way to church. I'm, I'm convinced Anybody need to repent to their children this morning? Who do you need to, who do you need to, who needs your forgiveness? Jesus said, come. The minute you begin to really get humble, the minute you begin, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. My grace runs downstream. Dear friends, God wants to bless you, and that's the second point. The poor get better news, a greater, more lavish wealth than one can dream. If we are willing to admit our sin, 
if we are willing to stop defending ourselves and blame shifting and, and angrily accusing other people. If we can just stop in our sin and say, I am the man, there is more love and grace and mercy and wealth than you can possibly imagine. And I wish we had a year to go through this chapter, but we don't. We just have a few minutes, so I'm focusing in on just one part. In, in 61.7a, this is what God says. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Holy moly. A double portion of what? Everlasting joy. Now, what is your shame? You see, guilt is how we feel when God is, is about to get to something in our hearts, and, and he's accusing us, and we're like, okay, okay, I feel it, I feel it. And, and that's, that's guilt. That's the feeling we get over the exposure of doing something wrong. But shame is totally different. Shame is the prison of being, being defined by our sin. It becomes our identity. You see, guilt is what we've done. Shame is over who we are. And I'm telling you, there's not a person in this room that doesn't understand and, 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 and wrestle with the, the, the reality of the prison of shame. And I've shared many times, I thought this week, man, I'm going to give them some, some other sin that I, you know, that I really feel shame over, some other little prison. I'm like, you know what? This is the overshadowing prison of my life, and it's the fact that Rachel and I were pregnant before we got married. And I warned her that I was going to use this. She said, well, make sure you tell them it was your fault. And uh, it pretty much was. Uh, but that, the shame I have felt over that, of 38 years. <laughs> oh, God has given me glimpses. God has given me release. God has given me beautiful, wonderful. But man, in the quietness of my heart, when all the music goes, is, is not playing, and I'm alone with my own soul, that's the prison. And that's what the devil does to every one of us. He's got those pet sins. He's got those pet things. And he comes after you and he loves to just, it's like a vineyard that he tends. Oh, he's watering it. Oh, that person looked at me, you know. Oh, that, that person said that to me. But, you know, I really deserved it because, do you see, my African-American brothers and friends, I mean, my goodness, I mean, you aren't just told that you're worthless. You see black bodies and brown bodies have no worth on the streets. But don't believe that. Do not believe that. Don't let that be your prison. Why? Because Isaiah is saying, the anointed one, Jesus himself, is saying, I have come to end that kind of, that kind of living. I have come to end that, the power of shame over your lives. Listen to the promise. that The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings of, of your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You you shall no more be termed forsaken, and, and a capital F, forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But here's your new name. You shall be called, my delight is in her. Friends, this morning, Jesus is telling Richard Reeves, here's your new name, Richard. It's not Richard anymore, and it's certainly not the sin of your past. My delight is in you. 
You put that tattoo on your arm. You put that tattoo on your forehead. You remind yourself in the morning. You put it on your mirror. You put it in your car. My delight is in you. My, my, my. I didn't even finish reading the text. <laughs> and your land married for the Lord delights in you. Or, or yes, and your land shall be married, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Notice he renames us. He says, my delight is in you. And that replaces forsaken, and Mary replaces desolate. Tasha Cobbs wrote a song that I, Adriana, I promise I did not, and I should, I'm admitting a little sin here, I did not know we were going to end the service singing You Know My Name. I had no idea. Oh, you did. Hallelujah. I thought you were that good. <laughs> Tasha Cobb writes a song, sings a song that I sing to myself over and over and over and it goes like this. He knows my name. He knows my name. Come on, Lord. He knows my name. Yes, he knows my name. And oh, how you walk with me. Come on. And oh, how you talk with me. And oh, how you tell me that I am your own. Oh, I can't even sing it. That I am your own, that I am your own, that I am your own, oh, you know my name, mm. yes, you know my name, you know my name. Yes, you know my name. Mm. He does more than he knows your name because he named you. You are my delight. And you're married. Let me read this. This Old Testament theologian biblical scholar. What comes to your mind when you think about that? I think of some old white-haired dude with a little pencil in a back room, in a dark room, you know, scribing. Listen to what he said about the, this promise. The Lord will enjoy honeymoon delight with those whom the anointed one has saved and made right with him. I don't even know what that means. But I can tell you this, 
Every good gift is from him. And this world thinks sex is something. That's all they got to worship. We think sex is, sex is something. It's good. But friends, it's not the best. It's just a taste of God's love for you. It's just a taste of the acceptance. It's just a taste of the delight. It's just the taste of God's thought about you. It is just a taste of God's love for you. Do you believe that this morning? Or are you believing the lies of the world? Are you believing the lies of your own sin? Are you believing the lies of the evil one who's constantly whispering in your ear? He knows your name. But secondly, he declares your worth and your dignity. It says we become a crown of beauty in his hand. What does that mean? Well, I was thinking about Queen Mary this week. She just lost her husband. And I looked it up. Her crown at some point was valued at $8 million. What is the only reason a queen or a king takes their crown off their head, gets in a room, and looks at it in their hand? Because it's beautiful. Because it's worth $8 million. God takes you off his head, holds you in his hand, and he says, oh, he's astounded at your worth. So why are you believing the lies, Richard Reeves? Why are you letting shame name you and not Jesus Christ? Do you hear me? Why are you letting the voices of the news, why are you letting this authority or that authority, why are you letting your spouse or your child or your parent or your employer or your employee or your teacher or your coach, why are you letting anyone else name you but God himself? Oh, a crown of beauty in his hand, and you're the crown of beauty. Who needs to be told that they're worth more this morning? Who needs to be told that they're beautiful? Who needs to be told that God loves them more now than he could ever love them? He won't love them, you, in eternity more than he loves you right this second. He can't. Why? Because the one who knew no sin became sin for you. So that in him you might become the crown jewel of God. That you might become his righteousness. He can do it because of chapter 52. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Do I deserve it? Yes. Do I deserve to live in my shame? Yes. But is that my identity? No. Because my God has given me a new identity. He's given you a new identity. Dear friends, if you believe that good news, and that's what, that's what he's saying. What's our word for good news? Gospel. This is Isaiah preaching the gospel. This is a whole new identity. It's a whole, a whole reality of worth. If you believe that, dear friends, then you can be saved. This is what you're invited to. I don't know what Christianity, what messages you've heard in the past, but if this morning you have yet to receive Jesus, this is the invitation that you have. It is not to clean up and try to get God's love. It's that you don't have to clean up because he knows your mess. And he has dealt with your mess. And his arms are open wide. He says, look, your sin is not going to love you like I'm going to love you. Nobody in this world, your money's not going to love you. Nothing's going to love you like I can love you. And I'm the one you're looking for. Come to Jesus this morning. Come to Jesus. Why are you holding back? Drop your shame. Drop your stubborn pride and say yes to Jesus. And if you do, 
And if you have, God's lavish love ignites a life of justice and just community. It changes you. It takes you somewhere. I don't know if you saw this, but Shaq was in a jewelry store the other day. And apparently he does it all the time. But he was in a jewelry store, and, and some dude was buying a ring for uh, probably his fiance. And Shaq pulled out his card and said, here, put it on my card. And the uh, employee was so excited, not because he was buying the ring, but because he could experience him buying the ring. He was like, Shaq does this every time he comes in here, but it it was always on this guy's day off. So he was so excited to be able to be the guy that took the credit card and, and was the, you know, kind of the blessing came through him. Now, why would Shaq do that? Because obviously Shaq remembers where he came from. You see, that's the, that's the problem with, with inherited wealth. Because <laughs> it didn't cost you anything to get it, but Shaq knows what it costs for him to get it. And he knows it does, he doesn't deserve it. And so he spreads the wealth. And that's what happens when we understand that we were poor, but we've been given a new name by Jesus. He wants us to drink in his love. He wants us to to just lavish and and dive into our new identity. But he doesn't want us just to hold it. It's a springboard into something else. And what is that something else? Verse 4 of chapter 61. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. When a person understands that they were nothing and yet they have been chosen and adopted by God before the creation of the world, that there was nothing he wouldn't give. He even gave the life of his own son for them to make them beautiful and a crown jewel in his hands. Then that propels them to look at the city and say, oh no, not in this city, not in God's city. We're not going to put up with the violence. We're not going to put up with the poverty. We're not going to put up with the undereducated. We're not going to put up with the oppression. We're not going to put up with... with We're not going to put up with it. Why? Because God didn't put up with me, but he won my heart. He won my heart so that I would go out and win the hearts of others. Verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. Justice is whatever God has given you. It's using whatever God has given you to give it to somebody else. Isn't that beautiful? It's not forsaking your family. It's bringing others along. And we're going to see that in a minute. It's so hard not to get there. That's where we're going to end. But justice is using whatever God has given you for those who are equal in worth and dignity around you, but under you in terms of the social ladder and the social constructs around us, bringing them along and showing them the worth that they had in tangible ways. Jesus declared the greatest commandment was to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, the lawyer said, well, I'll I'll get him. Who's my neighbor then? Who did he say? He told the parable. Well, there's a guy traveling, got beat up, left for dead. Two religious people came by, went on the other side, left him alone. This um, sinner came by, this unclean sinner came by, uh, leaned over, picked him up, put him on his donkey, took him to the hotel, paid all the cost, let him, get, let him heal. That's your neighbor. That's your neighbor. Your neighbor is something. There's nothing wrong with doing things for your friends and doing things for your family, but there's something wrong with doing things for your friends and doing things for your friends only. It's about, it's about bringing others and seeing others as your family. 
and seeing them as your responsibility. The vision of downtown church is not to become a charity organization. It never has been. The, the vision of downtown church is to be a diverse family. Diverse in every way. So that the poor are among us. We don't have to take a mission trip to find the ministry. I mean, that is what the church is to be. That's how Paul talks about it. Why? Because we, God, when he says he hates injustice and he loves justice, what he's saying is sin and death had you pinned down. Sin and death had you in a bad way. And Jesus didn't just pass by. And if there was anyone who could have done it and been perfectly justified doing so, it was Jesus. But that's not what he did. He stopped. And he came down. And he became man. And he became my sin. And he was cursed. And he was spit upon. And he was falsely charged. And he went to trial. And it was a mock trial. It was already decided before he got there. And he was uh, sentenced to to death by execution and he was nailed to a cross and he did it all for me and when I get that I got to do something I got to do something for somebody else and that's what a life of justice is all about but he also frees us he says he also proclaims the last thing the year of the Lord's favor what in the world is he talking about this is the Jubilee. All the Jews knew exactly what he was talking about. This is the year of Jubilee. You see, every 50 years, they would declare, God told his people to, to give back land, to, to um, forgive debts, to release slaves, and to rest for a whole year. To come together and to forgive each other and to live in peace and harmony. Why? Because they were to experience for themselves and to depict and foreshadow the, 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 the heaven itself, which in its eschatological form will be the year, eternal year of Jubilee. But do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying the year of Jubilee is now. With my coming, don't wait to start forgiving each other. Don't wait to start releasing slaves. Don't wait to, to forgive debts. Don't wait, don't wait, don't wait, because it starts right now. Can you imagine when, if we can become that kind of community where we are more concerned about our neighbor than ourselves, where we are forgiving each other, not just financial debt, but we're forgiving each other for the long-held bitterness and anger that we've had toward each other. When we are laying down our guns, when we are laying down our hate, when we are saying no, even at the expense of being criticized by others, but we're doing it for the glory of Christ and the power of his gospel because he has forgiven us and I must forgive you and we live in peace when we are not looking to our work to justify and define us, but we are working so that we may live in community. We're working so that we have something for my family and for my neighbor, but we're not working to prove that I have identity. And I'm talking to you, Enneagram 3 out there, here I am too, that we're not seeking, being driven by obligation, feeling like we have to do everything for everybody and just pouring out, but we are all coming together and loving each other and resting together in the beauty of what Christ has done, but also the reality that we have a Father, we have a provider. God has not made me the provider of my home. He's my provider. 
He's my Jehovah Jireh. I am not my family's Jehovah Jireh. My wife is not my family's Jehovah Jireh. He is our Jehovah Jireh. He is the one that provides for us. Therefore, we can rest. Man, this is the year of the Lord's favor, dear friends. So who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to love? How do you need to repent? What does it look like for you? There's nobody in here that this doesn't apply to. Is it the bitterness? Is it the anger? Is it the hopelessness? Ah, oh, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. Dear friends, may God make us this kind of community as we give ourselves to him in his lavish love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We can't thank you enough that you know our name, that you call us your own. Oh, God, we thank you that you are our righteousness, you are our beauty, you are everything. Oh, God, would you just work in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls in this room? Would you bring many to saving faith this morning? Would you capture the attention of those who have refused this message and understand that God's love for them can be real Oh, breakthrough. Could this, this be the day of salvation for some in this room, oh God? Breakthrough. May they hear and see with new ears and new eyes the love that awaits them on the other side of the yes and the reception of you as their Savior. Oh God, do a mighty work in this room. Do a mighty work, oh God. Don't leave us as we are. God, do a mighty work of deep repentance in our lives. Gift us the gift of repentance, oh God. Don't leave us in our hardness of heart. Don't leave us, leave us in our skepticism. Don't leave us in our bitterness, O oh God. Would you break through and would you melt our hearts with your love and would you bring about the response that you would have by your spirit through the proclamation of your gospel. Lord Jesus, you deserve that. So get it for yourself this morning. We beg you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.